Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is the Independent Corner with Jonathan Moody, and I'm here with uh, Lee Scott. Hello. The director of uh, such classic hits as uh, Beast of Bray Road and um, King of the Lost World, among Dracula's Curse. And how many movies do you have right out now? Um, I've got out probably 12, I think, total. I'm about to direct number 13 in a couple of weeks. And you've only been doing this for, well, I, I know you started back in the day with... Yeah, um, I started, I actually used to work for uh, Roger Corman, and uh, after I got out of college, I started doing my first uh, my first independent film, which was like 94, 95. I took a brief hiatus, did a bunch of different other kinds of jobs, and then I uh, picked up at the asylum about two years ago, and so that's where the bulk of my uh, my films have come from in the last you know year and a half, two years from the asylum. Okay, cool. Um, here's uh, I believe this is Chris is on the line. Um, let me get him on here. Chris, are you there? Yes, I am here. Oh, hey, what's going on, man? I am a uh, blog talk whore today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just started his own uh, blog talk show too, as well. He had Trent Hager on his show. Oh, cool. Yeah. So. Congratulations on your show, there, buddy. Yeah. Oh, what? What's that? So congratulations on your new show. It's very cool. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so, Lee, going back to uh, you know your work with the Asylum, I mean, how do you guys do so many movies like back to back? Well, a lot of us who are like the diehards, we don't sleep a lot. That's like one way to do it. Um, second of all, it's, it's a very well-oiled machine. You know, we uh, kind of know what we have to do, and every month we just uh, figure out how to do it. So it's a very small staff. I think people would really be surprised at the few people that actually work there. I think they'd be surprised, too, at the actual budgets that we work with, considering what we manage to pull off sometimes. Um, but uh, it's really just a lot of hard work, and... Uh, a small group of very dedicated people that, that do it. Yeah, I saw the uh, trailer to The Hitchhiker. Yeah. Is that, that was yours, too? Yeah, that's my last one I just finished. Okay, yeah, I, I was, like, looking at that, and I'm sorry, that, that one scene with the, the, shot, was it the shotgun blow or whatever, or mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a shotgun exactly, but the, the, uh, the part where the guy runs in and then gets shot. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> that, that just that looked great. Yeah, there's some, sometimes, you know, with the effects, it's like sometimes they just are amazing and you watch the monitor and you're like, that looks so real. And other times they take, you know, six hours to set up and it still looks fake. So it just really depends on, like, kind of the mojo of the day and, and the guy you're working with. You know, the effects guys are probably the most difficult to find in terms of guys who are reliable and really know what they're doing. So, you know, if you get a good one, you try to hold on them as long as you can. So your first, like, film, well, I guess you you said you worked with Roger Corman. Did you actually produce things or did you now I worked all as a crew guy for them I pretty much learned everything that I know you know in terms of basic production and I was an AD and I was a PA and I worked in uh, the office like the marketing department and stuff like that um, the first film I did was independent I financed it myself right out of college it's called Beach House um, it never got US distribution it was all over the place in Europe and stuff like that um, and like I said that took a while off and did other things before I came back to, uh, to movie making a few years ago Oh, neat, neat. So, and and you did Art House after Beach House? like Yeah, that was a couple of years later. I sporadically did stuff, but I uh, I got married in the meantime, and I bought a bar in uh, in Westwood, right by UCLA. It was kind of, it was fun at first, but I got old real fast. Um, then I moved to Colorado for a while. I lived there. I worked uh, 
various jobs out there before I came back to L.A. in uh, December of 2004, I think it was. And now here here you are staying. Exactly. No uh, intention of leaving anytime soon. So was that the bar that you used in Beast of Bray Road? No, that wasn't. It's actually the, it's actually the bar in Art House. If you ever see Art House, that's the bar we used. Um, Beast of Bray Road Bar is this really cool place that's up in uh, Chatsworth, California. A very, very cool uh, location. We actually used it again in uh, Dracula's Curse. It's a very cool little place. Oh. Yeah, you've been now you've been talking about Dracula's Curse on like the IMDb boards and stuff like that, and saying that this is pretty much your favorite, I guess. Yeah. The ones you've done. I think why, so. why would you say this has been your favorite, or? Um, you know, it, it's a it's a cool movie because you know, we use kind of the same actors over and over again. We when I took over there and started making a lot of films for them. I've always been a big fan of like the old Hammer horror films, where it's pretty much like a repertory, you know, company. They had Christopher Lee, they had Peter Cushing, all those great actors, and they would kind of just rotate them for different parts. So rather than trying to, you know, find new actors every time, I decided to kind of use the same group of people over and over again. And Dracula's Curse was the film that pretty much starred everybody that I'd ever worked with up until that point, like all the actors and you know, and every one of the movies before that is in that one. And that was also the first film that we did at the asylum that wasn't like a straight-up horror film, pretty much. I mean outside of the kind of studio tie-ins, like King of the Lost World, you know, every other film we were doing was like a horror movie. And that movie is more of an action film, more of a fantasy movie than it is like a straight-up horror movie. So that was cool, too, that we got the chance to do that. And then actually from that movie, we managed to uh, see that other, you know, kind of genres work, and they started branching off into doing more, you know, fantasy. I just did a fantasy film a few months ago for them, uh, more action movies, you know, more suspense thrillers as opposed to just horror films, which I think is cool. I think it's a good step for the company in general to do that. Um, now, you get a lot of flack, and I, I hate this because I really love your company, and I actually, you know, when I see, like, when I saw King of the Lost World, I actually like that much better than King Kong. Right. <laughs> you know, like the new King Kong that's, like, four hours long. Right. You know, I'm like, a King Kong movie has to be 85 minutes or right. something, you know? And then also has nudity, you know? <laughs> So much better than what, I mean, Peter Jackson can't even do this anymore, you know? Right. Well, sometimes we manage to, I think, you know, I think Exorcism, the uh, the possession of Gail Bowers film I did, I think that's actually, in my opinion, objectively, I think it's a better movie and more entertaining than uh, Emily Rose was, which is what... Oh, hands down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think When a Killer Calls, which we did, is also just as good as the one that was out in theaters, the one a stranger called. I think ours actually is a little better. It's a little more, uh, better. A little more fan-friendly. There's more gore in it. There's some, you know, some great nudity in it. And it's, it's like sometimes we, sometimes we strike out and we do a copy that's nowhere near what the original one is. Or well, okay, you, you know, you also uh, didn't you also do the Hillside uh, Cannibals? Yeah, like that's one I'd say probably isn't as good. But isn't as good? But well, see, what I'm gonna say is. I didn't really like the uh, the Hills Have Eyes remake, mm-hmm. but that was also like I'm not a really big fan of the director. <laughs> right. So I mean that might be a th- it might be a thing. Like I just was kind of bored by it. Right. Um, you know uh, I'm wondering if I'm gonna like your version better than the remake. Well, our version actually is really different. We actually I'd never seen I didn't see the the new one. Um, I remember the old one, and they. Uh, the writer of the film, that's one of the few that I didn't write myself, and the writer, I guess, had seen the original one as well, and the script wasn't pretty, it wasn't shootable, and the director that they had quit at the last second, so I kind of jumped on it, 
and we ended up actually improvising a lot of the movie on set. So it's very different, actually, from The Hills Have Eyes. It's just, you know, it's a similar title, and it's about cannibals. But well, see, isn't that, isn't that what they were trying to go for, I guess? Because if you look at The Hills Have Eyes and then The Hillside, you know, uh, cannibals, they're right next to each other. Yeah, that's always the plan. The plan, I mean, it's, people give us shit for it, but it's a smart it's a smart business model because we're basically using all the studio marketing to kind of get people aware about our product as well. Right. You know, it's like if people are already excited about something, and you see it all the time in other industries. And other well, studios, I think uh, Roger Corman used to do it. Oh, yeah, when I worked at Corman, we, yeah, we would, when I worked in the marketing department, we would retitle movies so they would sit on the shelf next to, like, popular releases for the same reason. I mean, whatever it takes to get people to rent it is what you have to do because, you know, while the money is decent on these films, it's not great anymore, and, and the video chains are getting worse and worse with the money they share and, you know, stuff like that. So whatever you need to keep making movies, you kind of have to do. And then that's why you guys keep pumping out more movies and more movies to try to to keep, you know, getting out there, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, to it's also it the way the Asylum set up their business, it's a very uh, the cash flow thing. So it's like, you know, the mo- money for the movie we're doing now is the money that came in from, you know, two movies ago, basically. So it's like they started with a small amount of money and have managed to keep keep that money going, you know, to keep making more and more movies. So does Asylum self-distribute or do they go through an outside distributor? Now, they're their own labels. Like, they actually sometimes will pick up other people's movies as well. Okay. So like, yeah, they're not involved with, like, uh, you know, a Lionsgate or something like that. It's all their own. We do everything. We do the DVD authoring in-house, the artwork, you know, except for the duplication and everything else we do right there in the office. Yeah, I've been uh, talking to them briefly. Actually, you're the one that kind of pointed me in the direction of the person I talked to about um, my new film, Desolation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I haven't spoke to them in a probably about a month, but, uh, but yeah, they were interested for a while, so that was really... really okay. Yeah, those guys have, they have very short attention spans, so you got to keep hitting them up. And after a while, it's like people who, it's like, you got to ride that line between being obnoxious and, like, being, like, just persistent, because if okay. you manage to do it, like, they won't, you know, they, they don't, they don't they forget about stuff, but if you're always kind of in their face, you're always kind of in the background, like, they'll eventually get to it. The big question I had was, um, is, is David uh, Michael Latt, is he like the, one of the main guys for it or something? Or Yeah, the uh, the two partners are David Latt and uh, David Romali. The okay, yeah, David are... Latt was the one that uh, actually contacted me back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so I was wondering about that because, I mean, he, I guess he gives himself chances to direct, you know, because he did. Actually, it's so funny. I, I watched some of um, Jane, Jane White is Sick uh, and Twisted. <laughs> yeah. Which I watched mainly just to see all the like cameos from the TV stars that I used to love, you know. Sure. And I'm sure that was the whole plan was, you know, it was exactly. kind of a gimmick to get people to. And I thought that was a really cool gimmick. I mean, I've been trying to get people like that on my show. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to use that as kind of a gimmick. Oh, I'm trying to get Polly Shore on my show, kind of thing yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, so, no, uh, Lat, Lat and I did that film together outside of the asylum. I produced it for him. Um, it wasn't actually done through the asylum. It was kind of before. It was right when they were first starting up the company. So he did that movie all on his own with his wife, and uh, and I helped him out, and we got all the actors. And it was a really good time. It was a good shoot, and it was uh, he loves it. Like, it's still his favorite movie I think he's done, and he's just obsessed with it, which is great, because it's always cool when a filmmaker gets to do something they've always wanted to do, especially a guy like Lat, who the films he has directed a lot of times have been very genre-based. And if you know Lat, like, you would know that he's a total, like, screwball romantic comedy guy. Like, he's a hilarious guy. Like, the fact that he has to direct movies where people get their heads shot, you know, chopped off. So wait, he's direct. the producer. Shouldn't he be the one making up the... <laughs> this is what I want us to do. This is where we want to go. 
Well, you know, in so much as we can, I mean, you have to realize, too, that so much of it comes from we, we actively talk to the people who buy the movies, and we'll ask them what they want to sell. You know, that's probably why the asylum has been so successful is that they're fast, they make the films very inexpensively, and they listen to what the buyers want. So when everyone else is kind of saying, oh, I really want to do this Western, I have this great idea for a Western, and they make it and they try to sell it, people might not be interested in Westerns. But we know in advance, like, you know, we know that they want X, Y, and Z. So we make X, Y, and Z to make sure we can still sell them. Do you have so, people uh, snooping to see what's hot, you know, being just, you know, being made? Oh, yeah, we actively, we actively do that. And, you know, like I said, we listen to the – the guys at Blockbuster and Hollywood Video Movie Gallery, because they're still our biggest, you know, our biggest money source right now, and they'll say, hey, you guys really, you should make a movie that copies this, or can you give us more movies like this? Like, they're actually the ones that kind of, you know, in addition to a couple of us being sick of it, they're the ones who said, hey, you should try stuff other than horror films, because there are, you know, so many big companies right now, like Lionsgate and First Look, are buying these really low-budget, really bad horror movies, and the video chains are obligated to distribute them, so they have too many horror movies on the shelves. And they customers. need to do something else. Exactly. Oh, that's that's really that's a really neat uh, idea to think about. I mean, I think when uh, you win the dragon, I guess is your one of your latest movies too. Yeah, that's like I said, that's one of the after Dracula's Curse, we saw that you know fantasy did really well, and we knew Aragon was coming out. So people will be talking about dragons, and you know people are still hyped on Lord of the Rings. So we went ahead and did that, and it doing incredibly well. I mean, it's one of our best, uh, we got the reports today, it's one of the best performers of the year for last year and starting this year. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really just kind of figure out what the consumers and what the buyers want and then kind of going off of that and trying to still make yourself creatively happy. You know, if they said make monkey porn, I probably would have to pass. But as long as it's, you know, hey, let's make science fiction now instead of horror, like I'm still cool with that because those are the kind of movies I love, you know. So you're trying to stay away from uh, horror as far as you, you're concerned, or are you uh, still going to do it? I'll still do it. I think this year coming up, I've got four films lined up. Three of them are like science fiction, and one of them is a horror movie. So I'm actually, every year the Halloween release is always like a big place for a horror movie, and they've kind of given that to me to figure out what's like the end-all, you know, be-all of horror movies. So okay. that'll be my task. The big question I've wanted to ask, you know, because I see you guys pump out these movies, and, you know, I, I just found out about you guys just recently, but then I found out, yeah, like six or seven of your own movies already out <laughs> that I right. haven't gotten a chance to watch yet. And the big question, I guess, is, like, like how long does it take to actually to, to shoot the movie and then get it edited and then distributed? Well, the... The average, I mean, it, it seems to be getting quicker and quicker the more movies we do. Um, in the old days, like when I did Frankenstein Reborn and Priest of Bray Road, you know, we had probably two months of prep and shooting time. Um, we usually shoot the films in about two weeks, two to three weeks, depending on the budget. And we usually had, you know, six to seven weeks before that to prepare them. Lately, it's been getting really fast. So I think The Exorcist movie is the fastest one where we basically had three months from the point that they said, we want this movie to write it, shoot it, edit it, and then get it ready for distribution. So I think it was like 75 days or something like that that we had total to do everything, like sound mix and editing and color correction and the whole deal. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dragon, Dragon had a lot of visual effects, but that one was pretty fast too. I mean, we shot that film in uh, late August, in Wisconsin, and it was already on the video stores, you know, mid-December. 
that was, you know, about four months. So is Asylum, like, you know, because I, I am a writer, and I've heard that they're looking for scripts. I, mean, I guess they're always looking for new scripts or something, right? Yeah, that, that's for sure. And they're also looking for people, I mean, if you can write a script in a week and you can follow directions, like, that, like that, that's like their, their, their dream because they've got only a few guys that are just, just plain writers who will write the projects. I try to write and direct my own. Um, but they have other directors that come in or other projects they want just writers for. It's really hard to find people who are willing to come in, you know, for, for relatively little to no money and write that fast and also follow direction. That's the big thing. It's like if they want, you know, a certain type of film, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't give them what they want, it doesn't really fit. So they can't yeah, really I'm not going to lie. I wrote one of my movies that I, that my first movie I ever wrote that was like 80 pages long. And I know you guys are pretty specific. You want something at least 100 pages pretty much, right? Yeah. About. Um, but uh, when I wrote my 80-page movie, I wrote in two days. There you go. So you're, uh, <laughs> like, you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which is funny because it's not a – I mean, I, I look back at it and I'll probably go, you know, this wasn't great. But then I was like, you know what? I wrote it in freaking two days, and what, what could I do if I wrote it in four? Right, exactly. You know? So it's, you know, I mean, it's just I guess if you have the time to actually sit down and just do it. You know? Yeah, you know, and the good thing about it too is that since it is so fast, it's like, you know, you change stuff on set, and then you get the input from the actors and the rest of the crew, and it's like the films are very, you know, amorphous. They they adapt and change depending on the circumstances. We've had more times than I can count where we've had, you know, a whole sequence or a whole big plot point that's like, you know, supposed to be in a certain location, and then we come to shoot the movie, and when that location falls through, so like on set or the day before, you got to figure out how you're going to get this scene done without having the location that's supposed to be. You know, that happens all the time. So the scripts are more like blueprints than they are like actual, it's not like Shakespeare where we follow it to the letter kind of thing. You know, it's like when you get out in the battle, you got to kind of adjust it a little bit. Exactly. And, you know, you can kind of tell like what could be scripted and what could be like, um, you know, I guess uh, like improv or something on the set. Sure, exactly. And, um, I mean, like when I was watching uh, Jolly Roger, which I know is not yours, particularly it's uh i guess jeff miller's or yeah jeff miller wrote it and uh gary jones directed it yeah so it was uh you know when i was watching that it was making me laugh there was a few really good lines in the movie that you know i mean that really just made me crack up you know like that uh, was really funny when they first brought it in and it was a bit of a problem because the buyers hated um they hated comedy the guy at blockbuster comedies like he hated that whole you know kind of evil dead style horror comedy thing so and he would hate my movie cruise of, of the dead that i wrote that was 80 pages long because <laughs> there's <laughs> nothing but comedy really hardly any in action hardly any right. like gore or anything it's just stupid silly yeah that's that's always a tough sell you know if it's a horror film they want to keep it as straightforward horror film as they possibly can you and know. so jolly roger was hard to sell or yeah it ended up being, I mean, a lot of it, and uh, I think the version that's on Sci-Fi Channel actually is closer than the DVD version to what the original script was. But the original script—I mean, the whole idea that they had was to make like their own kind of Leprechaun character. They wanted a character that could be like a franchise. They wanted to do like you know a ton of Jolly Roger movies. So his whole thing was that he would kill you with like a funny joke every time. Oh, uh, okay, like a Freddy Krueger. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. So is there any plans for another one, or? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, that guy really did well enough for the asylum where they would want to jump back in and do another one. Oh. oh. But uh, I did run into Jeff Miller a little while ago, and he's still a big fan of the whole idea, and he's trying to get another one made. So. 
Well, he should, um, I mean, like, from what he did, he directed, um, was it uh, uh, Head Cheerleader, Dead Cheerleader, which yeah. hasn't, uh, hasn't come out, has it? I don't think so. Because I, I saw there was a copy of it at um, on Amazon.com, but I wasn't sure if that was, was that it? Cause I, don't I don't know. know if, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's out yet or not. <laughs> but um, he, you know, he, you know, went and did that. He should rain direct another one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing with these movies is like they're they're usually small enough where if people lose a little bit of money, it doesn't kill them, you know. And it's like, and it's great practice. I mean, the, the best thing about the asylum for me has been that I've been able to kind of practice and do different things and experiment, you know, and not just make short films or music videos, but actually make whole movies and just try different things and kind of develop a style and you know find my way around stuff. And sometimes it works and you get a cool one. And sometimes it's kind of like you know, whoops, what the hell was I doing? But at least it's not on a huge you know studio movie that this is happening. And it's not on a film where it's going to wreck my career. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's just great practice. Um, you know, so I guess I was, I don't know if I explained this to you exactly, but I had a really crappy day Saturday. Yeah. And this is when this whole stuff happened. I was looking at Sci-Fi Channel. I was like, Sci-Fi Channel cheers me up all the time. Just, you know, anything that they have on it will always cheer me up. There's got to be something like, like right after Beast of Bray Road, they had Frankenfish. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna make it's gonna make me laugh. It's gonna make me really want to watch it. So I was watching Beast of Bray Road, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, there's Matt Kaczynski <laughs> in the movie." And I was like, "I know him. He used to. Uh, I met him at Vulgarthon, the Kevin Smith Film Festival." Oh right. Yeah, and we started talking online. I haven't talked to him online, and like other than through MySpace and stuff, you know, for a while. So. He was, you know, he was really cool. He's he's going to try to come on the show sometime and talk. Well, that's cool. Yeah, so, I mean, and he was in both, uh, from what I've understood, Frankenstein Reborn and Beast of Bray Road, right? Yeah, he's in both films. Uh, Matt, actually, when I had my bar, he was one of my bartenders. He used to work for me. And so, he always talked about being an actor, and I know he's a really funny guy, so when it came time to do it, I was like, hey, you want to uh, you want to jump in and do a movie? And he was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. So, he had a smaller part in Frankenstein and a you know pretty big part in uh, in uh, Beast of Bray Road. Have so. you heard his animation uh, thing, the Angry Naked Pat? Oh yeah, I saw yeah. it on uh, I've seen it online. I actually helped him cut a reel together once, and we put a lot of stuff on there. So it's really oh, fun. cool, cool. Yeah, he's uh you know so yeah he's that's like because I'm friends with Brian Lynch and I'm friends with those guys and whatnot. So you know I met Matt through there, and when I I didn't even I don't think I even knew he was in your movie. Until all of a sudden I see him, I'm like, "Oh, is that Matt?" And I was like, "He did, he did a fantastic job too." So, yeah, no, he's you a know. great actor, and he's got great like comic timing. And it's just a shame we never got to. It's one of those things we never got to shoot his big death sequence. That's why it kind of happens like off screen. They're talking about it, but that was supposed to be a big whole scene where the werewolf catches him and eats him and stuff. So. Oh, well, that stuff I mean, happens. So speaking of Beast of Bray Road, um, when the uh, the werewolf rips the uh, chick's head in half. How did you shoot that? I mean, how how was that effect done? Um, it actually was the worst. It was actually, believe it or not, in Jolly Roger, there's a scene where a girl gets cut in half with the Jolly Roger sword right in the beginning. So we still had that dummy. <laughs> so Dan, the makeup guy, just took that, like, severed in half dummy, put a different wig on it, filled it up with guts, and then we just shot a bunch of – I mean, the trick to shooting all the really good gore effects is to always do one take with the real actor and then one take with the prop. If you cut to, like, a different angle when you don't, when you go to, like, the gag, it always looks fake. 
But mm-hmm. if you can at least establish in the audience's mind that that shot exists with the real person, when you cut back to it, it's exactly the same shot with the effect. It kind of tricks them. So all we did was shoot you know, the werewolf pulling at the girl in that angle, and we put the dummy in there and just shot it ripping apart. But it was like the cheesiest, dumbest, grossest dummy ever. Yeah, that, I, I've watched that part three times in a row. That caught me so off guard. I mean, <laughs> that was that was really good. I mean, yeah, it's, it was a great effect. It's one of the better ones. Like I said, I think the one in the Hitchhiker that is in the trailer is one of the best. That one's good. And in Frankenstein Reborn, there's a great gag where a girl gets like pulled in half, mm-hmm. and that yeah. gag so people go, "Oh shit, how'd you do that?" So, yeah, I actually own all those movies you're talking about. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's great because I mean I really like I like I just got into the asylum and now I don't want to leave. You know I want to just keep watching all the movies. You know, and I just can't wait for another one to come out because you just like even War of the Worlds looks really good. I know David Michael Lat did that, but it looks really incredible. You know. Yeah, I mean we we really you know have managed to find really solid technical people to help us out. So even though our budgets might be close to some of the crappier stuff that's out there we still manage to maintain some level of, like, professionalism, which I think is really cool. And, you know, I always get a little mad because people will walk around and, you know, kind of compare our films to films that cost more, and it's like, well, I get frustrated because they're not that expensive, but yet it's kind of a compliment when they think that it was that expensive, you know? I mean, because when you look at it, I don't know, do you you guys definitely look like you shoot on film. Um, it, It mixes, it varies, you know, it depends on the budget. A lot of them have been HD. But, again, we, we're using, you know, really good film cinematographers who know how to do this, you know. So it's like you're not getting the same effect as, like, a first-time, you know, DP on HD. It's like you're getting a film cinematographer who knows what he's doing. So oh, okay. Because King, King of the Lost World, like, that opening sequence with the, like, the, the, was the opening credits. Yeah. You know, that, that looked incredible. That was what really drew me in from the very beginning. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, this looks great already, you know, just the music and the, the flying and then the, you know, the crashing of the heli- or the, the airplane. Yeah. You know, it was just everything looked great, and I was just, like, so interested in, uh, you know, watching more and more. And then I, my, and my brother actually walked into the room when I was watching the, uh, was it the, the spider. Yeah. The big giant spider that comes down. He just stopped and stared. <laughs> and then walked and walked away, but I could tell it just kind of it it drew him in. So right. I mean, yeah, no, that that movie, you know, my problem with it was not really making it. I just felt that we kind of rushed the script together, and uh, it just felt a little bit like it could have been more, a little more action packed. There's a lot of people talking and walking around, and you know, I was hoping to do some more action stuff, but it really wasn't in the material to to do that. So, but overall, it's a, it's a decent movie, and it's definitely one of the better looking ones. I think probably the best cinematography and the one movie you'll watch it and go, this costs like, you know, $10 million or more is uh, the pirate movie we did because the cinematography in that is just brilliant. It's Yeah, that's what Lance Hendrickson, looks right? Great. What's oh, that? The, the, yeah, the Pirates of Treasure yeah. Island? It was yeah. Lance Hendrickson? Yeah. Yeah. How, how was it to work with Lance? Lance is cool. Lance is totally my buddy. He, um, he had done a movie for them before called The Da Vinci Treasure, and uh, I went and talked to him on set, because I didn't direct that one, about playing Long John Silver in the pirate movie. And he just loved it. He loved the idea and was, like, all excited about it. So he was, you know, down for the count 100%. He actually ended up working a day for free, which was crazy. Do you end up using SAG actors, or, like, how do you deal with that? 
Um, it varies. You know, most of our productions, the smaller ones are not SAG. Um, the other ones are. So it depends if we're using a bigger actor or not. Oh, like someone like Lance, I'm sure, is uh, yeah, SAG. Yeah, Lance is SAG and Bruce Boxleitner and Steve Rails back and those kind of films. Those are those are SAG. And the contract we use allows us to use union and non-union actors. So you'll see the same, you know, asylum regular actors in films with like Lance or Bruce, but then also in our, you know, non-union shows as well. But when you when you do a SAG movie, don't you have to pay them kind of close to like a SAG rate for even non-SAG actors? No, under the new contracts, you pay the non-SAG actors much less than the regular SAG rates, and then you pay, you know, a guy like Lance doesn't work for scale anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So you end up paying those guys more, you know, than you pay the other actors. I think it's like a hundred bucks a day, which is pretty close to what they get anyway. So. <laughs> well, I mean that's not bad though. I mean I I would say if you shoot for like. What, you say you shoot for basically, how many days do you normally shoot? Um, the shortest one was nine days. The longest has been 15. Oh. We're actually getting ready to shoot one. I'm doing a sci-fi movie that's going to be 20 days. 20 days? Cool. Yeah. So, a lot. So. Well, I'm guessing it's going to have a lot of CGI and other technical stuff that you have to... Yeah, right? absolutely. A lot of green screen and a lot of, you know, big plate shots and stuff like that, so... Uh, so it must be really exciting knowing that you're going to have like four or five or whatever, like ten movies or something coming out in one, you know? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, the first year I was there, the way it worked out, I ended up, you know, basically being responsible for, I think, six or eight movies that year. I think between being a producer and a director, which is pretty crazy. So it's, it's cool. It's, it's You know, it's, I wake up every day and go to work and say, I'm a movie director, which a lot of people can't do, which is cool, so... Uh, how was your How was your Christmas and New Year's though? Did you? It was good. It was good. You didn't have to work then, did you? Um, I did actually. I, I just were in post on the Hitchhiker movie, so I worked a little bit, a couple of days off, and uh, got pretty hammered on New Year's Eve, but uh, pretty low key overall. Well, that that was the most important part, right? New Year's Eve. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes <laughs> you can get really drunk on New Year's Eve. It's a successful holiday season. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm really looking forward to all the all the flicks that you have coming out too. But are there any that you can kind of talk about or not, or is pretty much um, that are coming out? Well, I said the Hitchhiker comes out in March, um, and then I'm doing a film that's called Robot Wars, which will be out in July, which is going to be badass. So <laughs> that is, that, be is that like because it wasn't there a movie called Robot Wars? Is it? was, you know, we're, we're that's just the working title for now. Like, I'm not sure what it's going to be called when it comes out, but we're calling it Robot Wars for now. I was going to say, it better not be anything like the Full Moon movies. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no. Cause, cause actually, I, I see you guys doing, I mean, you guys are so much better right now because, I mean, if you look at a movie like Evil Bonk, and then you look at a movie like, you know, with your guys kind of thing, it's so much different. You guys actually take... You guys seem to take more care of your movies and oh, don't try to rush things if you can't help it, you know? We actually give a shit. And like I said, you know, not only is it the same actors, but, you know, I have the same first AD. I have the same cinematographer. We have the same grips, the same sound guys. So it's like everyone's a big happy family, and it's not like that kind of crappy low-budget, you know, indie movie crew where nobody cares, you know? So if something can be made better, people are going to go out of their way to, to do it and make it better, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, I've been really interested, like, I mean, because I'm eventually going to probably be moving out to California, you know? Like, I'm in Virginia right now, so right. kind of far away. But, um, 
you know, but when I eventually go out there, I'd like to find a company like yours or something, you know, that I can just go and start working as whatever, you know. Yeah. There aren't many left. Um, most of the low-budget guys have, you know, gotten bought out. And a lot of people now are doing, like you said, they're they're just distributing their films through other people. So your film is unique in the sense that they're still a small company that does everything themselves, which is great because, you know, it's I got to look at the, you know, the key art for uh, the video box for The Hitchhiker before it goes out, and I got to give suggestions and give notes. And, you know, it's it's a great way to learn everything. It's like I think anybody who comes out of the asylum is fully prepared to work on bigger things and be much better prepared than anybody else, you know. Have you guys already um, did the commentary and stuff for it, or? Uh, not for Hitchhiker yet. That'll be only once a week or two. Oh, okay. But then, right you're, now, yeah, you're going to definitely have a commentary and behind the scenes, right? Yeah. Yeah, because that's what, that's what I like about your stuff, too, as well, is because it seems like all the Asylum movies have some kind of commentary or something. Right. That's an extra just to and, – and you guys have so much fun when you guys do the commentary. Oh, yeah, we're all loaded the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Trashed. You know, because when I was listening to the Beast of Bray Road commentary, um, was that you or was somebody was just kept saying, Frankenstein Reborn? Right. <laughs> That was the cinematographer, Steve Parker. Oh, okay. That was, yeah, that was him. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. I mean, I just, you know, almost you could play a drinking game with that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? That's my next plan is to get, like, the Asylum, you know, drinking games going and special editions out there, you know. Because a lot of these films, too, we've had, like I said, we've had to recut them for different reasons. So Beast of Bray Road and Frankenstein, and I'm trying to think what other ones, Pirates. There's very different versions that exist of those things, so they're kind of you know re-edited to kind of tailor what the buyers and the people want to see that you know are buying the movies. So even if we get a great idea and then the buyers go, I hate that scene where the guy does this, they cut it out. But those scenes still exist, and a lot of them are really great. Especially so you're going to try to do special editions? Yeah, we're actually talking about launching a, a, like another website, like a second website, like a fan kind of based website that'll have like downloads and stuff like that. So some of these deleted scenes and stuff we'll put up there, and you know. The movie coming out in January, Freak Show, the ending was so gnarly that Blockbuster, even though it was unrated, they wouldn't carry it with that ending. So we had to recut the ending, and we're thinking about putting the ending like online for a little while for people to like to download once the movie comes out and see the difference. So it was just too much for them to even handle on an unrated film. So was it just was it the gore? Was it the subject matter, or both? It was just the gore. I mean, it's I don't want to give it away, but it's pretty gnarly. Like, I watched the first cut, and I was like, I, you know, I make these movies, I have a strong stomach, and I was just, wow. Cause it, it wasn't just the gore, but it's, like, protracted, and it's, like, drawn out. It's like an eight-minute, like, torture, death, mutilation sequence that you just see everything. And there's, like, nothing left of the imagination. It just goes on and on and on. And you're like, you're like, A, how is this person still alive? And B, how much longer before I puke, you know, basically, yeah. when you watch it. Well, I can possibly, uh, you know, see why Blockbuster might have... Uh... Yeah, I can understand. They <laughs> threw up a red flag. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the thing with Blockbuster, aren't they like, they're their family-themed place. So it's always funny to see all these horror movies, but they're always like an R-rated version instead of like an yeah, R-rated. Yeah, you know, they're, they're into making money. I mean, Hollywood Video always carried the unrated versions, and Blockbuster just started, I think, I'm trying to think what the first movie we did that was unrated. It might have been Dracula's Curse was the first one last year that came out unrated. Usually we'd go to the MPAA and we'd have to get the uh, the R rating. If we get the NC-17, we'd have to make more cuts. Um, but now the, the ones that are coming out, like Hillside Cannibals, like um, Exorcism, those films are all NC-17, you know, across the board. Well, that's, that's okay, cool. Because I, I was wondering, because um, me and my um, 
producer partner, we always talk about how a lot of these independent movies you find in, like, you know, say Blockbuster, and you take them home, say like Frankenstein Reborn, which, you know, had a you know good amount of violence in it and everything. And I, I was talking to uh, my partner, and I, I was telling him, I was like, there's no way that was, you know, allowed in Blockbuster like that with an R rating. I, I, I've always wondered if, you know, you guys did the uh, Wes Craven Last House on the Left thing and just tack an R on there and, and give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I won't lie to you. Occasionally, the paperwork for the rating goes in after the movie. You know, we're pretty sure it's an R. In a couple of cases, we've been kind of burned where, you know, we send it off and then we get it back and be like, whoops, it's an NC-17, you know, and then it's kind of tough to be honest or not. Frankenstein actually was a legitimate <laughs> a legitimate R. I'm trying to think if I can remember, there's one movie out there that I know that we had submitted the paperwork for, delivered it to Blockbuster, and then like a month later we got the paperwork that said it was actually an NC-17. So. <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't Beast of Bray Road because that was pretty. Yeah. It's pretty graphic yeah, that, too. That head scene alone. I mean. Now, you know the, the thing is to get the NC-17. You ha- it's really weird. They're first of all they're more concerned about sex, so you have to watch. Like you can't have more than three thrusts in the same direction in the same angle, and or else you get the NC-17. Even if there's no <laughs> if it's like just like two fully clothed people going at it and they're thrusting, you can't show a thrust more than three times from any one angle. Even fully clothed. Yeah, it doesn't involve nudity or anything. They're also really sensitive about, like, you know, uh, children, like, children getting killed, children getting sexually attacked. And then when it comes to, like, weapons, like knives and stuff like that, you can't have more than three direct shots of a penetration. So if you have a close-up guy getting stabbed, like, 50 times, you have to cut away in between. You can't show more than three at a time. Yeah, wow. you're right. You're right, because as you say that, I can see, you know, a bunch of scenes in my head, and, yeah, they do cut away at the third mark. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's why that's why the exorcism the movie was close because that had like a a nude sex scene in it and it also had you know the girl was described as being underage in the film even though the actress was 21 but they you know in the film she's supposed to be 17 and then there's a scene where the, one of the priests gets stabbed like a hundred times and in the first cut I just had like this you know actor hacking away at a dummy and you saw like 20 stabs in a row <laughs> and they were like yeah you got to cut something else real quick there or, you know twist the angle <laughs> of the sex scene we we can't have that so. Oh, I mean, it's isn't funny. it? I, I try to imagine, you know, you know, the MPAA guys sitting down in a meeting, and going, "Okay, what we can allow them to show is at least three pelvic thrusts, but anything more is porn." Right, <laughs> right exactly. No, it's weird. It's weird, and you, no one knows who those people are, and you know, they're totally arbitrary. It's very strange. Yeah, I mean, gosh, you could just imagine them being lonely old men who. Yeah. But actually, lonely old men would probably want to see more thrusts, so. <laughs> Maybe I don't know who it was. Old, they would, they would old women. I don't know. It was. Uh, it's just really funny to see these people that, you know. I mean, who who would be these guys that are turning your movie down and saying it's got to be unrated, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's very. It's an all an odd little uh, operation they've got going over there at the NPAA. It's very strange. It cracks me up because I I, I couldn't imagine someone sitting there watching a movie and going. That was four pelvic thrusts. I'm turning this crap off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's weird. <laughs> you know, well, actually, you'd probably have to watch the whole thing, even if he didn't like the, you know, but he'll, he'll write notes for pelvic thrusts. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but, you know, like like movies, it's, it's so funny because uh, about the MPA, um, like Clerks, when it first got released, it was like the one movie where, and it had like way too much cursing or something, yep. 
and they said that it was in C-17 until they got Alan Dershowitz to fight for him. And then, you know, it all got, you know, yeah, turned around. So I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, it, you know, and then they didn't even have to cut a single thing, you know? Yeah. It's so, very arbitrary. I mean, it's totally arbitrary. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. So, um, so your next movie, I know one of the next Asylum movies is the Giant Crocodile movie, Super Croc, I believe. Yeah, that they they just finished shooting that like about a week ago. They actually shot that right before the end of the holidays. Um, that one comes out in April. Oh, I thought it was coming out in March. I thought I read that somewhere, but no, uh, that's the Hitchhiker's March. Super Croc is April. Um, May is a movie called Meteor, which is like an end of the world disaster movie. What's coming out in February? Uh, February is a movie called Lumberjack. Lumberjack? It's about a killer lumberjack, yeah. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> it's so awesome. Like, just, I don't know, I can just see you guys, like, I can see the people working at Asylum and just going, what can we do next? You yeah. Know? What that's a lumberjack the, movie. Let's do it. That's exactly the meeting we had today. It was like, what are we going to do next? And, you know, what do you guys want to see? And... And, you know, they're always open to different stuff. Like, you know, the David Romali, the one producer today, was like, you know, bring me a $3 million movie. We'll find the money. We'll do it. If you get something good, let's do it. You know, they're very open to stuff. So, Well, I've got the perfect totally next movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, and do you, do you guys recommend people sending you guys scripts or, like? Yeah, I mean, definitely, def- even if we wouldn't necessarily take the script you send us, as a writing sample, it's pretty key. Because when they go to look to hire somebody, they want to make sure that they've read something that they've done. So do you um, wait? So it, it gives you the ad, uh, the email address on the site, but do you guys want anybody to actually send like the actual script, or do you want just like you said a writing sample, like a treatment or something? I mean, your best bet is to you know contact them first, introduce yourself, and then from there, you know either turn over a script or a treatment depending okay. on what you have. That makes you know, sense. It's so, bad to just you know send something cold, but. If it's a way to do it, you know, it's to... It seems like Asylum would be the, the, the company that somebody like an aspiring, you know, writer who wants to get into, like, this genre, you know, yeah, would want to do. Great, it's a great place to start. And like I said, there's very few guys we deal with that are capable of writing these scripts that quickly. So, you know, it kind of goes to two or three other guys besides myself, you know, for the ones that I don't direct that end up writing them. Is it is it the notes, really, like... Because like, you said something about um, they'll send, you know, the, you have to be able to do what they tell you to do. Like, yeah. Will they give you, like, these extensive notes and say, change this, change this? And if you can't for some reason, then they'll just, you know? Well, yeah, it's more the fact that we kind of agree in advance on what the structure is going to be and what the story is, what the outline is. And then a lot of writers will decide, you know, midway through, oh, well, this is a better idea. You know, or what if we did this instead? And it's like a lot of times it's not what they want. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> getting somebody who can take that outline that's agreed upon and turn that into a you know 100-page script in a week—that's what we need. You know, and sometimes you know you can bring up good ideas or make changes, but it's really just following the simple instructions. And you'd be surprised; it's really hard. People will get the job and then they'll screw it up because they'll have all these crazy ideas, and it's not exactly what the producers wanted for you know X, Y, or Z reason. So I have a. Uh... We shot an eight-minute reel for our upcoming movie, Desolation, right? Uh-huh. And we flew Trent Haga out here, and he's in it and everything. And I was wanting to get that to them. So how what what would I do to get them to see that? I mean, well, send it to me at the office. Um, the address is on the website. 
and uh, I'll make sure they get it. Cool. Yeah. See, there we go. That, that's what I love about this, uh, you know, this site. I can bring people together <laughs> in one way or another. But, I can, I'll send you a hard copy and also send you the link because we got it on MySpace too. So. Oh, cool. So Absolutely. you can actually view it there, and if you feel and YouTube, yeah. it's all over the place. Yeah, they're Everywhere. trying to get Everywhere. people to see it, and I've been. That's why I've been having Chris on my show a lot, is to kind of talk about you know getting people interested in desolation because there'd be new people checking out the thing and maybe potential investors. Sure. And Absolutely. whatnot. So. And Jonathan's the man. So you know, <laughs> anytime he needs me, I'll, I'll call in. So. <laughs> there you go, guys. Exactly. Well, very cool. Well, uh, is there anything, well, any uh, advice that you would give to people, like, just starting out? Um, I would say just keep doing it, you know. It's like, just keep going. It's like I said, everything's a learning experience. I made my first film. I thought it was so cool and so badass when I was, like, 22. And, you know, now I look back at it and go, what the hell was I doing? There's always room to learn. So I think a lot of people don't realize that, and they kind of get full of themselves really early on. So that's why the biggest thing is just keep going and you don't know anything. And I mean, even the biggest guys out there are still learning and practicing, you know? Yeah. I made, I made that mistake. I was telling Jonathan on another show that he had me on about my first movie, the deadening. We just were like, okay, this is our movie. We're going to, we're going to shoot on film. So we uh, got all this money together to shoot on film and it was a nightmare and the movie still didn't even out yet. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. See, it happens. And, I mean, I, I've stopped and, you know, I mean, I've started working on projects and then stopped it, you know, due to various reasons. And it's just, it, you, like you said, it's a learning experience. And, you know, it's great to be able to direct your own stuff because then you can find out what kind of director you are. I yeah. find out I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an impatient asshole sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not in, on purpose. It's obviously time and, you know, trying to get stuff done in a hurry. Sometimes you have to be that. You know, sometimes you have to be that. Yeah. Sure. Well, you, yeah, but, but also I think you have to just, you know, a lot of times a little bit of, a little bit of love and, and niceness goes a long way, especially in the low-budget world. It's like you want exactly. to make sure people are behind you. I think a exactly. lot of those other films, they hire really – either really arrogant young directors or these kind of like washed up older directors who just don't give a shit and it's like that's where you get that kind of like no one gives a damn attitude about and you can see it in the movie you can when you watch the films you can tell the ones that were people were having a good time when they weren't you know well that's what i've noticed about you know watching the behind the scenes and stuff of your guys movies is you guys just play around and have fun and it looks like you know like even like observing your myspace everybody that you have that like you know, comments you or whatever is usually like your actresses yeah. and other people and actors and whatnot saying, hey, what's up? How you doing? Are we hanging out this weekend? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. And it seems real, too. It doesn't seem like it's one of those, you know, just crappy little 30-second long um, interview where people are just, you know, blowing smoke up everybody's asses. You know, it's like an actual a legitimate compliment when they're complimenting each other is what it's Yeah, no, it's a, it's a little family, you know. It's like every Tuesday we meet at a bar here in L.A., and, you know, sometimes there's 30 people, and they're all, you know, mostly the crew, and most of the actors are just hanging out, drinking beer, and eating tacos, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's great. And, um, I mean, and doing it in L.A. is probably the best thing in the world. I mean, you're finding new people who that's what they want to do is go out to L.A., and become, yeah, you know, in a way, most people want to become kind of famous. So, but mm. most importantly, they want to be in movies, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, the people that are out here, it's like everybody has the same goal. So it's like, it's very easy for us to, 
you know, kind of take our group of little friends and try to help everybody out. I mean, that's the other big part of it. It's, you know, if one or two of my actors, you know, a lot of them are doing bigger stuff now. Rhett Giles is doing a ton of movies. He's, you know, he's on Lost a couple of weeks ago, and he's been on Nip Tuck. And Did I hear he was in a kickboxer movie? Yes, he's in a kickboxer movie that was in. It was shot in China. It hasn't come out here in the U.S. yet. Um, <laughs> who, di- who directed that movie? Do you know? I don't know. It's a Chinese uh Oh. director midway through. It was a total Chinese production. Like Red's Australian, so he was like the only like Western actor. There was maybe one other Western actor in it. The rest oh. were all native Chinese actors. Wow, because I was I was wondering about that. Because was it an actual like was it an actual new kickboxer movie or was it? I'm not. You know, I'm not too sure. I, I know he played like the villain. He was like the the evil Western, you know, kickboxing spy kind of guy. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, it's good to see, you know, people like Rhett, and I'm sure he kind of, like, you know, he's, he's made more movies with you guys than anything yeah, so. <laughs> he's done yet. Yeah, so. the cool thing about Rhett is that, you know, he loves it. Like, you know, he's doing bigger stuff and getting paid more money, but I kind of gave him the outline for this robot movie, and he got all excited about it and started, like, emailing me ideas, and, you know, he gets jazzed. You know, we, we have a good time, and it's like, we also try to give the actors a chance to do everything, you know. It's like, um, if you look at some of them, like Eliza Swenson, who is, been in a bunch of films. Like, she's pretty much played almost every kind of role. You know, in Dragon, she's like a 400-year-old witch. It's like, who gets to do that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> usually, usually, if you're a pretty girl, you used to be a victim. You know? It's like all the girls in uh, Dracula's Curse, too. It's like, you know, Rebecca Cochin and Sarah Hall. It's like, these girls get to you know, usually be the girl screaming or the girlfriend or the first person to get a hatchet in the head. And in that movie, they're gun-toting, you know, vampire killers, which is very yeah. rare for people at this level. So everybody has a good time. And I like how um, in Hillside Cannibals, like the lead, you know, the girl that kind of makes it all the way through the movie, you know, in Beast of Bray Road, she doesn't make it all the way through the movie. She's one of the first ones, you know. That kind of caught me off guard because the first one I saw was Hillside Cannibals of of your films. That's kind of a a rule, too. When new people kind of come in, like Beast of Bray Road is Heather's first movie. So it was like, when you do your first one, it's like you got to take your licks and be a victim or, you know what I mean? It's like... You're gonna be a smaller part, and if you stick around, and you're cool, then you're gonna get a bigger part, you know, down the line. Yeah, that you know? that just that blew me away because when I saw her, because I saw Beast of Bray Road after, and right. I saw her, I was like, oh, okay, there's the lead, and you kind of setting her up as the lead too, right? And, uh, then boom, you know, she's gone. <laughs> uh, I loved that. <laughs> was she was she she was the first one to get killed in uh, Beast of Bray Road? Yes. So yeah, she she did an incredible job. She was like even in the like making of, you guys looked like you guys were having fun with it, you know. Like yep. I think there was a couple like outtakes and stuff too, you know. And it, absolutely, it just seemed like you guys have fun shooting, you know. And that's what I noticed when I was watching sci-fi. You know, I, I turned it on. I was like, these guys look like they're having so much fun, you know. And they're casting. It seems like they're casting their buddies, you know. Yeah, it's, that's so. pretty much what we do. We show up to work every day with our friends. <laughs> talented buddies too. Yeah, not talented kinda, buddies. Yeah, you're not running into that problem where you're casting your buddies and. It's hurting it you in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> well, did yeah, you like audition enough. originally, people? Or yeah, I mean, most of the people. Um, Rex, well, Jeff Denton and I were friends long before Jeff and Matt and I actually all worked at the bar together. So I've known Jeff for a long time. Who was the sheriff in Beast of Bray Road, and he was, you know, Malone in uh, King of the Lost World. He's powerful. Um, Red had done a couple of silent films before I got there. He was in uh, Way of the Vampire and Legion of the Dead uh, before I started there. So Red was the only guy really that I brought in. Um, from the other older movies. And then 
Tom Downey, who was the sheriff in uh, Jolly Roger. He and I were friends going way back. And then most of the girls, I'm trying to think of any girls that we knew beforehand. I think all the girls came in originally through auditions. And then, like, we just picked one out. Like, Rebecca Cochin, actually, she crashed the audition for the Gail Bowers movie. She, we didn't even have her on the list. She just showed up. She got the part in that, and then immediately after that, she got the lead in When a Killer Calls. So oh, Sweet. You know, um, I haven't seen that yet, but that looked, you know, looked good. And I really, really, really want to see Snakes on a Train. Seen it. That was, I enjoyed that. I mean, Which one? The Snakes on a Train. Oh, Snakes on a Train, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what was funny was that was actually the first, like, I guess, asylum movie I'd ever heard of, but didn't know what asylum, you know, what the asylum was, right? Right. And then all of a sudden people are like, snakes on a train, what? <laughs> you know, like, are they really, yeah, did they really, and they didn't, you know, you guys did this. I guess you guys have found out that there's going to be a movie called Snakes on a Plane, you know, right. and then you guys decided to do Snakes on a Train to kind of capitalize on it. You know, exactly. and uh, you guys did a, you know, that was, that was a good marketing employee right there. That's a good yeah, double no, feature is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully New Line will buy Snakes on a Train and they'll put like a double DVD out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Snakes on a, yeah, yeah, Snakes on a Plane and Snakes on a Train double feature. Exactly. And, you know, if I, I've, I've decided that if I ever get enough money, I'm going to um, come, you know, I'm going to have a uh, my own drive-in. I don't play nothing but only movies I want to see. Yeah, <laughs> You'll be like takes on a too. train in the drive-in. Yeah, I've had that idea too. <laughs> yeah, I miss the drive-ins. There's no more out in LA. And the ones back, I'm from Wisconsin originally. I'm back for Christmas or for uh, we actually shot the movie Dragon in Wisconsin back in my hometown. And well, that, uh, there's actually another caller. Hold on. I think I think it might be uh, I think it might be Kevin. Hold on a second. Oh, eight five zero. You're on. Hello? Hey, no, my name's not Kevin. I'm, I'm I'm Anthony, and I was just listening to the show, and actually, I was just I was emailing Jonathan Moody's Six Flick Productions. Is oh, that okay. who's that? Cool, thanks, dude. What's up? That, are you are you a fan of Lee's? No, I mean, I, actually, I was just a fan of who? Lee, Lee Scott. <laughs> no, I'm just a blog talk junkie, and I was oh, okay. just listening to your show, and um, just the bottom line, you know, I I got a lot of uh projects myself in the works and I'm like really ignorant when it comes down to the film industry so I mean it's just the bottom line you know just listening in to you all for uh, you know just for information and that's about it and I just wanted to call in and say thank you all because the show is great and it has one you, you all are obviously in the in the industry and you have great great insight and you provide wonderful insight just through listening oh thanks dude yeah appreciate that yeah it's yeah, um thanks, it's really it's really nice to hear people that, you know, I don't really actually know, but that seem to really dig my show. So thank thank you. I love hearing good words. No and uh, Lee's the one who's actually in the industry. We're just kind of talking to him and trying yeah, to get more advice way, just like you. We're fighting our okay, way now, into who, it. <laughs> who is Lee? Uh, <laughs> He's the one Lee. that I'm listening to? Hmm? He's the guy that you're having the conversation with? Yes, yes. He's the one who did, uh, he's done lots of uh, movies that are in Blockbuster. I was uh, mentioning okay. a lot of them earlier. Yeah, well, um, I'll, sorry, I told you. I did preface this whole statement with I'm ignorant to the movie industry and the movies and all that <laughs> stuff. I don't watch a lot of them, so, or a lot of TV and stuff like that. So, But I am kind of getting into it by accident. <laughs> so that's why I'm kind of doing my homework. It's like a crash course. Right, right, and we're we're kind of trying to do that too. So, 
Cool. But uh, thank you for calling in and telling us this stuff. And all right, uh, we appreciate it. And just yeah, keep listening. I mean, right. we'll have more. We'll have more people coming on the show. So, you know. Thank you, Lee. And I'll, I'll uh, now when I if I need to like look up Lee, how do I Google him? Lee Scott. Yes, would it would Lee Scott or Lee Slaughter be the yeah. easiest way? Yeah, L E I G H Lee. L E I G H. Mm-hmm. Yep. Scott. And Scott S C O, I guess T T. Yep. Okay. No yep. problem. So just um look him up and um. You know, and uh, look up all his movies because he's got uh, a ton of them in Blockbuster. So. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. All right. Bye bye. All right. Bye. Well, well, Lee, if you ever need representation, I think you got got it right here. Me and Jonathan, man, we just <laughs> sold you to somebody right there. They're building yeah. the fan base. Oh yeah, definitely. And see, we're not we're not kidding when we say we're fans because we obviously have seen the stuff and we enjoy it, you know, enough. No, it's great. I mean. It's just, it's great to, you know, it's weird because, like, you know, we make these movies and we kind of just send them out there and then you, you know, your your family and your friends see them and you get the reports back of how they're renting, but it's great to talk to people actually who've seen the movies and can talk about them and, you know, know all the actors and all that kind of stuff. It's awesome. Exactly. I mean, and I mean, like I said, I'm just getting into this really, so, um, you know, I, I don't know as much stuff. I think, uh, you know, uh, I guess Chris knows more than I do right now because he's, you see more of the uh, the films. I haven't. I, I really want to see Dracula's Curse, and uh, definitely Frankenstein Reborn, as well as all the just pretty much everything. So, you know, I've got to go. My friend's got a Blockbuster card, and he's going to put me on there. So, I'll just yeah, go okay. rent Blockbuster. <laughs> a funny story. A funny story to tell to tell before the show ends is uh, on MySpace. I got a friend request from Dracula's Curse. And I was like, oh, man, I've, I've seen that movie. And I was like, must be a fan of the movie. So I uh, I wrote him and was like, yeah, I dug the movie. And uh, I was like, are you a fan? Did you work on the movie? And he's like, no, I directed it. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, even better. <laughs> that was my Those are my attempts at just uh, shameless promotion. <laughs> I, was, I say, well, he must have heard of Desolation or something. I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the funny thing is I've never gotten one. Huh. <laughs> that, uh, that all might change. You never that know. That might change. All of a sudden, I'll get a uh, Dracula's Curse will be uh, uh, emailing me or whatever, sending an <laughs> ad request, which I think it's, it's cool because if you looked at mine, I've got uh, the movie I'm doing in July. I've got that poster up, or, you know, and I've got a whole site for that, you know. So it's, that's what's great about um, MySpace, you know. Yeah, no, it's an awesome tool. It's an awesome little thing. Yeah, so I'm on there all the time. Yeah, yeah I've noticed. Yeah, I see are. all your blogs. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I'm rendering out like a shot or something, I gotta wait for the computer. I just sit there and log in and start typing. Well, you, you write like the, I mean, you don't just write like you know, you write journals. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these things are really. I mean, I can, I almost think that you're just you're you're writing them and then you're just like waiting. You know, you're actually trying to come up with like something really really good. And then maybe you'll like edit it or something like later, but you won't actually send it out until it's like perfect. You know, that's what it seems like. <laughs> but you might just write it in like a couple seconds. I don't know. It depends on the blog, you know. And maybe I'll collect them all and put a book out or something at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't. Uh, I would. I'd definitely buy that. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks. <laughs> but um, 
No, because I mean, when I was looking at your blogs about um, certain people like saying stuff about it, I just I'm, I'm really surprised at um, the amount of people, you know, that that say all these negative stuff, but then yet you you will you will take the time to actually you know talk to them about it, you know, or you know, and you'll see these like witty replies back, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I'm always shocked too at the amount of people that you know, are really, like, against what the Asylum does in terms of, like, the the studio rip-off thing. It's like, what do you care? You know, it's like, if you don't like it, then don't watch them. It's like, it's not... Exactly, I was going to tell you that tonight. Just don't even write to these people because then it just makes people want to, you know, incurs their wrath more to want to respond back. And it just, it almost, like, seems like a waste of time to to see all these, you know, things. That that was another cool thing um, about Yuli is that... uh, like even I think it was just last week, um, Dread Central. I think it was Dread Central. I might be wrong, but um, they were almost acting like they were wanting to start ripping apart the Hitchhiker. And yeah. uh, you stood up for it and everything, and kind of set them straight on that. And I've noticed because you know they have been all over Asylum from the beginning. I mean, you know, you know, like when when a killer calls came out. I remember that huge article they wrote on that, just bashing it before they'd even seen it. And, yeah, actually, you know, I I defended a lot of that stuff to those guys, and I've actually, the war has kind of subsided, and I'm actually on their boards now, and I talk to them, and they've actually tried to be very cool. There's a couple of guys that were, you know, still being kind of dickheads about stuff, but even those guys have kind of come around and been like, oh, we're just kidding around, man, and, you know, we just want you guys to do better stuff, we want you guys to be, you know, doing better movies, that's all, you know, that kind of attitude, which is fine, you know, I appreciate that, and these guys, you know, a lot of these guys dedicate their their lives and all their money to to horror movies, and so they're the main consumers. So, yeah. you know, in a weird way, it's like you don't want to kiss their ass, but you at least want to try to make them happy a little bit because they're they're your audience, you know. They're the people ultimately who will pay the checks and pay the bills, you know, to keep going. So everybody's important. You know? Exactly. And, and, and yeah, and they're, they're, they're the people going and buying the – even the people that are going out and buying the blockbuster stuff. I mean, like I had bought King of the Lost World having only seen like half of Beast of Bray Road. You know, right. I mean, I was like, well, you know, I can buy it at Blockbuster, you know, for whatever, you know, like used and new, you know, or whatever right. that they have. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to pick this up because it looks, it looked, it, the cover was good, the cover art was good, and it just, you know, it had King Kong in it. So right. I was like, you got me sold. Go you know, so <laughs> then I, I enjoyed the movie when I watched it, so. That, that's what I have to admit, that's one I haven't seen. Oh, you gotta see that, Chris. I mean, just go. I guess you, the, your local blockbuster will have it, so it's definitely yeah. worth watching once. <laughs> I'm gonna probably be on Sci-Fi again soon. <laughs> what? It'll probably be on Sci-Fi again. They've been airing the hell out of that one. Oh, neat, neat. Yeah, I guess because they're trying to compete with like HBO having King Kong or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, so they're trying to. Yeah, and I didn't realize this. It almost seems like a kind of a pun, you know. Because you know how people say, I'm the king of the world? Right. I'm the king of the lost world? <laughs> I can see just like a Titanic spoof right there. <laughs> you know, so I thought that was kind of funny. I noticed that actually right before the show started. I was like, that's kind of funny. You know, like, I don't know if you guys intended that or. No, not really. Happy I mean, coincidence. We, we, yeah, we based it off the Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, the lost world book character names are the same and you know it's kind of the same idea about a group of people in a you know land that time forgot kind of idea so we just kind of merged king kong with lost world and that's what we came up with so did you have to pay any money to use the lost world or anything or 
No, it's all public domain. So. Oh, is it public domain? Okay. Yeah. I think it was uh, Sir Conan Doyle is public domain by now. <laughs> he should be. Yeah. Um, yeah. His his heirs still try to protect Sherlock Holmes, but otherwise they really don't have any. Uh, really? I was going to say the next movie you should do is uh, Sherlock versus Zombies. I uh, definitely actually I do have a Sherlock Holmes film that's in the works. Oh, cool. Excellent. Yeah. That would be neat. I would like to see that. I was I was thinking of it earlier. It's like Sherlock versus zombies. That seems like a or something. Sherlock or doing Sherlock, something. Sherlock versus uh Frankenstein Reborn or <laughs> Sherlock versus Dracula's Curse or Beast of Bray Road, you know. <laughs> that would be go. awesome. But I guess what I thought was, you know, the Beast of Bray Road is based on the true story, right? Yeah, it's based on it was an urban legend, like where I came from back in Milwaukee about it. Is that how it's like? Because that was one of your first movies, right? That you worked. Yeah, so. yeah. I'd, I'd written that script actually a long time ago before I wrote Frankenstein Reborn. And after I did Frankenstein, they loved it so much. They're like, "Well, what else do you have? In, you know, what do you have in your little computer there?" So I popped that one out, and they liked it, and we just shot it like right afterwards. It was oh. about And that's why years. you used pretty much the same crew, right? Yeah. Right. It looked like you almost probably did it back to back. Yeah, exactly. So, that's so really maybe cool. There so may be a bunch of from Wisconsin, are you from? I'm from Milwaukee. Oh, okay. Yeah, my wife, uh, my father-in-law lives out in uh, Wisconsin. Oh, cool. Whereabouts? And uh, my wife is from Minnesota. I don't know if you frequent there any. When I uh, when I used to work in restaurants, I used to I trained actually in uh, outside of Minneapolis. Oh, really? Yeah, she's from Albert Lee. Oh, okay. What cool. part of Wisconsin is your, uh, I guess, your in-laws from? Um, hold on. Where's your dad from? <laughs> yeah. See, that's, that's the great thing about doing this show, too, Lake is Mills. you're doing it at home, so, you know, you can take care yeah. of all your business. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Chris, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Lake okay. Mills, Lake Mills, Wisconsin. I'm not sure where that is. Probably like up, upper central Wisconsin. Yeah, that's what she just said. Yeah, she uh, is actually going out there soon. So, oh, cool! Visit. It's a great place. I love it. Yeah. If I could make all my movies back there, I would. But Hollywood's where it's at, right? Exactly. But isn't it harder to make a movie in Hollywood? That's what I heard. Like, it's harder. You know, we've been doing a lot of location shooting because it's getting it's getting difficult to film here. But it's still not impossible. So you're still better off here just because all the resources are here. You know, you've got the crews, you've got the equipment. And then you break. can shoot it anywhere, though, right? Like if you yeah. wanted to leave L.A., you could go somewhere. Yeah, that's we, what we I was sh- ready to ask. Yeah, yeah we shot Dragon in in, uh, in Milwaukee, which is the furthest we went so far. We actually shot part of the uh, 9-11 Commission Report in Europe. There was just a few of us that went over there to Europe and Africa to shoot some scenes from that. Wait, wait, wait. So you, you shot a movie about 9-11 in Europe? Yeah, we shot some scenes in London, and then we shot the rest of it in Morocco. So you didn't actually yeah. shoot it in New York? Mm. Or did you shoot? No, we shot, yeah, we went on the way. We shot in New York, D.C., and then we went to London, and then we took trains all the way down through Spain. I was going to say, if it was all shot in, like, Europe and all that, that would be so yeah, awesome. We, we, doubled, we doubled London for New York. No. We actually shot in New York and D.C. themselves. So it wasn't yeah. the two towers this time. It was the, uh, what is it, was it, it was the Big Ben? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah. uh, that's just, it seemed like a cool idea. Like, because isn't that your first, like, kind of drama? Yeah, that was, like, our first, like, serious kind of movie. Yeah. Is that one out yet? Yeah, that came out in September. So that one oh, did it? That one okay. did really well. Yeah. That one did great as well. And it's, like, there's no blood, no violence, no, you know, mayhem. 
It's just a very straightforward. It kind of feels like an episode of like a long-running TV show. It's like a long episode, of like The West Wing or something like that. I was almost thinking, well, I guess not a homicide or anything like that, or one of those, like, because it, it looked like wasn't it supposed to be a thriller or something? Yeah, it's a bit of a thriller. Okay, but there's no blood. No, I mean you don't really see anything. They 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 whack some uh, Afghanistan guys. That's about it. But it's pretty bloodless. Oh wow! Well, I mean that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun to shoot something different than. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. We did the whole movie like handheld, and we improvised a lot of the scenes, and so it was very different from the usual asylum thing. That's so did you cool. use a lot of the asylum regulars, like as far as the actors go and everything. Yeah, it was all the usuals: Red Giles, Jeff Denton, Eliza. Um, Noel Thurman, pretty much all of them were in that one too. That's that's cool. I mean, like, like I see, like I'm saying, I would love. To, I mean, that's that's such a you guys are such a family. So, hearing all about what you guys are up to, I mean, knowing kind of how you guys are, and like you guys being such like a close knit family, it's awesome. You know? Yeah, no, it's, it's exactly what it is. I mean, you know, it's 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 a family. It's like it's and it's great because a lot of people from here, so a lot of people don't have you know their family's close by, so it's like we're their family away from their family kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I still think that's cool what you said, that y'all meet up at a bar and, eat, you know, drink and eat tacos and stuff. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't, you know, no one does that. I mean, that's awesome. And, yeah, no, like, production company is known for just going out together and hanging out every day. Yeah, no, so. it's very rare. Yeah. If you guys so. are ever in L.A., let us know. We'll hook you up with the Taco Tuesday invite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Neat, yeah. Well, I might be coming down sometime to visit because I've got friends and whatnot there. So, actually, one of my friends is a, uh, a comedian slash actor. I don't uh-huh. know. He's in San Diego right now, and I think he's moving to L.A. sometime to kind of get started, you know? Right. Which is cool, you know? I'm ex- if- I'm excited for him, but I don't know. And if you think Desolation might be up to par, then yeah, maybe I'll be out there soon. <laughs> yeah, no, but seriously, you know, get, get it over to me. I'll check out the stuff on MySpace. But give me a hard copy on, like, a DVD, and I'll make sure the big guys see it. Cool. For sure. Well, all, all right, right, dudes. Well, this has been, you know, uh, more than an hour. So, um, you know, it was a great a great, great talking to you. Dude, yeah, uh, you guys. Good luck with everything, and uh, anytime you want me back on, I'd love to do it. It was fun. Definitely. Um, and if you want to tell more people about it or whatever, like let some of your actors and producers and other people know about it, you know, and on, let them get in touch with me. I'd love to have other people on here from Asylum. Sure, absolutely. I'll pass the word on. Yeah, so um, uh, all right. Well, have a good one, and um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know how this the show does. <laughs> cool, man. Yep. Okay, man. Have okay. a good one. Take care. All right, okay. y'all. Take care. Bye.